look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? Well, I'm good. Um, you know, you might have heard, or people, this is, the press is sensationalizing a lot about this fentanyl crisis in yep. the news, yes. right? Um, but how can it affect your family, right? We're going to find out a little bit about that from Dr. George Alvarez today. Yeah, and have you had a conversation with your family about how you want your finances and health handled in your retirement? Well, you might want to have a chat with us on that one because we're going to talk about that as well, too. New poll saying a lot of Canadians aren't prepared, you know, to have that or haven't had that conversation. And if you're looking at home care options for your parents or you're already uh, to put together some plans for your future, don't miss uh, the next segment because we're going to talk about how to create an emergency kit and instructions for your family on uh, on what to do there. <laughs> My friend, we talk about uh, what pension plans are doing and their investment uh, strategies and so forth. So we just got the news uh, this week that the Canadian Pension Plan Investment Board, which is, of course, our largest pension uh, fund manager here mm-hmm. in the country, uh, is now exploring more opportunities in India and in South Asia. They like the Asian piece for, for investment. They're increasing their ownership from 10 to 15%. Uh, over over the next few years. So a very interesting piece coming out of there, just telling you what they're doing versus the average person does out there. They're looking at more longer-term growth, which also has a lot more risk associated too. Now we also have, um, we've got Donald Trump going out talking about NAFTA. To make a deal that's fair for the United States. They understand that. And so I decided rather than terminating NAFTA, which would be a pretty big you know, shock to the system, uh, we will renegotiate. Now, if I'm unable to make a fair deal, if I'm unable to make a fair deal for the United States, meaning a fair deal for our workers and our companies, I will terminate NAFTA. But we're going to give renegotiation a good, strong shot. I was traveling down the Trans-Canada Highway, and I just saw Donald Trump do a U-turn. Where you go, oh, no, no, we're not going to cancel NAFTA. And that's just what's going to happen. He's going to start to use his influence his pressure on both nations to come to the table they're all going to come to the table at some point in my view uh this is where it's going to be now not just done on a blanket push on nafta it's going to be using a scalpel they're going to go yeah product by product good by good well we've seen the lumber we've seen the dairy i mean it's it you know it's all going to come out um and after 23 years of nafta you know i i think uh, some refresh yeah it's a refresh it's going to happen it's natural uh it is interesting to see his communication style but his communication style and the way he's approached this creates uh, uncertainty in the in the markets and we see markets respond to that but the markets are also starting to learn how he communicates and whatnot it's shock first and then we'll come back and talk about it and that's just how he is as well, too, you know. And there's also uh, the conversation about the tax cuts in the United States as well, too. The president is going to seize this opportunity by leading the most significant tax reform legislation since 1986 and one of the biggest tax cuts in the American history. We are going to cut taxes and simplify the tax code by taking the current seven tax brackets we have today and reducing them to only three brackets. A 10% bracket, a 25% bracket, and a 35% bracket. We're going to double the standard deduction. 
so that a married couple won't pay any taxes on the first $24,000 of income they earn. Doesn't that kind of sound like the Canadian system? Mm-hmm. A marginal tax rate, about three or four marginal rates, and you have a basic exemption. It's starting to sound more like a Canadian approach, but more importantly, the interesting part is that now we're going to have tax structure from a personal perspective. We're going to have businesses, and their their tax rates are going to change. And this is my thoughts, David. Well, tell me what you think of this. If they're going to start to lower their tax rate for businesses, and let's make up a number here. Let's call it 15% uh, in the U.S., yeah. and we're f- 24% here in Canada. Don't you think some businesses might be interested in moving across the border? Not all of them. But some of them, if you're looking at bigger businesses that hire a lot more people, wouldn't that be more competitive? Is this going to be a race to the bottom for for some of these nations to compete from a tax perspective? I like the comment you made in our last seminar. We talked about this race to the bottom as part of the overall um, geopolitical move that's taking place right now. And it will be interesting, right? If the U.S. makes itself more competitive from a tax perspective, what is the impact on other um, you know, on other countries. We have seen companies leave the United States as a result of their uh, a favorable tax treatment in other countries. you got to figure if they get more competitive, okay, that's going to help their economy. Now, the market reaction to this news because of the detail or lack thereof in some cases has been interesting. It was too. a wish list. It's not, there was no de- detail. There was, no, there was no, nothing I could use. Literally, I have seen uh, analysts out there take a picture on their iPhone of what the details were on one page. Right. This is not the plan. So again, this is the shock. Here's what we're going to do. And now they're going to start to discuss everything. So it's going to take some time. And that's what the market doesn't like, is that let's let's surprise everybody and let's figure it out over time. And that's where we saw what happened with the health care bill and yep. how long that's taken. His first 100 days have been a tough time for the health care bill. That might be a tough time for the tax side at this point. All right. We've got a seminar coming up uh, on to Tuesday, May 16th. How's all this going to affect your portfolio? How's the profit and, and a the opportunity coming out there, very important. And how do you make money in these types of markets without taking too much risk on Tuesday, May 16th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. And I need to reserve your seats here. Give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. We're introducing a new regular to the show, Dr. George Alvarez, who's going to help us understand the latest health trends and issues. One of those issues is fentanyl, is the fentanyl crisis, which we've all heard about. A heartbreaking photo of a mother lying next to her dying son went viral this week, showing the effects of this health emergency on families. Join us after the break. You're listening to News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770. Um, we talk a lot about healthcare, and you know, there's uh, there's some it, uh, facts, uh, some trends that are becoming problematic in healthcare. And it's not just amongst the young we often hear about it, but there's issues happening. We you know we hear in the news a lot about uh, about the opioid crisis. Correct. Right. And uh, we we thought, well, we should maybe investigate this a little bit more. In particular, how is it affecting that you know that population 50 plus? Because there are real Pain needs, right? Medication for pain that we need. Anyways, uh, you and I don't know much about this, but uh, Dr. George Alvarez is going to join us today, Calgary Intensive Care Unit physician. Uh, Dr. Alvarez, thanks for taking some time with us today. Pleasure to be here. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about this opioid crisis. We hear a lot of uh, a lot about it in the news these days. How did it happen? Where did it start? Give us a bit of background, if you would. Absolutely. So I think it's fair to say that it is a crisis, especially with all the sensational headlines that you see both in the newspaper and on TV. 
And I think probably my opening comments would be narcotics are amazing. Uh, they're a good drug. Uh, they treat pain. And in fact, they were created to treat acute pain. Right. You break your leg, you get morphine or some sort of narcotic, and the pain goes away. And it's amazing. And uh, But they weren't really created for chronic pain, which is where this epidemic, I think, has come from in this abuse. Uh, the second thing is, I believe people have pain, and it's one of those very difficult things where people are on chronic narcotics for their chronic pain, right. and people need to understand that chronic narcotics are not very good for chronic pain, because just like any other drug, alcohol, nicotine, there's a dose response and there's uh, tolerance. So when you were a kid, you could get you know drunk on a couple of beers, and when you get older, you need a little bit more. So that's kind of where it started from. And I'll, I'll also say that I have a fairly jaundiced view of this because I deal with very sick people. Right. So my comments are, are meant specifically to highlight the bad part of this uh, opioid issue. Uh, and we'll probably not touch on all the good stuff because there's a lot of good things. So I just want the listener to understand that we're certainly, we're certainly talking about the bad part, not the good part. And, you know, the pharmaceutical industry about 20 years ago uh, started creating more and more opioid-like uh, drugs, and I think they tried to convince people that if it was used wisely, uh, there would be no addiction problems and it wouldn't become an issue. Uh, the problem is that can't possibly be true because just like every other drug that society is legalized or not legalized, it has a potential for abuse and tolerance. So, Dr. Alvarez, is our health system equipped to deal with these problems? Um, I think it's, um, currently I don't think so. Uh, I mean, the reason why you see all these horrible stories is because I think like most epidemics, like, uh, and to use a very sensational, maybe over-exaggerated, is like the SARS epidemic. People didn't see HIV coming. People didn't see SARS coming. And it isn't because physicians and patients aren't concerned about each other's health. It's, I think it's really just People were underwhelmed by this problem, and then when people are underwhelmed and don't see it, and it affects marginalized populations, it can get bad in a big hurry. I, I like. I hadn't thought about it in the terms you just put forward. Right, the medication was created not for chronic long-term use, but for short-term use to to kill the pain. Right, the broken leg syndrome. Um, Having said that, is is that the basis then of addiction, right? This this notion that we're trying to jam a bit of a square peg in a round hole with these short-term drugs used over a very long, uh, I guess the intent for short-term use, then used over a very long-term period. Is that the basis of this addiction? Yeah, there's sort of a, there's a difference between addiction and tolerance, and there are people that know more about this subject than I do. And um, uh, But yes, uh, I, I think... I'll go back further in time. There's some interesting stuff out there. Uh, one is about 90% of the world's narcotics are prescribed in North America, meaning somehow in the last generation or so, we as society have decided that pain is not normal, which is completely incorrect. We've evolved to have pain. You put your hand in the fire, oh, it hurts, you take it out. So from an evolutionary point of view, pain is a very powerful way of staying alive. It, it sort of helped us uh, evolve. Uh, and then somehow we as a society think that pain is not normal. When you look at other societies, 
they use way less narcotics because they understand uh, pain is normal. Pain is a part of healing. And this is now extended to other things. If you're sad, you take a happy pill. If you can't sleep, you take a sleepy pill. If you're too sleepy, you take an awake pill. And this is the ongoing this is all wrapped up in the same thing. And people who get tolerant or addicted to narcotics, it's not their fault. Uh, it's the same. It's, it's, a, it's a real medical issue. I look at it just as serious as people that have cancer, who have diabetes, and who are alcoholic. These people need help, and they get hooked on, and they get, to and they get tolerant to it. So there's a supply and a demand issue behind this, Dr. Alves. Why is there a supply from the medical uh, uh, group? Why are they still, if they know that this patient has been coming back for a chronic pain and getting a short-term fix over and over again, why hasn't there been a cutoff? Why aren't we not having a, a program or an agreement amongst all, all, all physicians saying, we're going to cut you off now, you're too bad? Yeah, uh, well, that, that's a very difficult question. I think, uh, well, first, we're certainly trying to recognize that uh, most provincial boards are trying to uh, educate uh, physicians, uh, including myself, uh, by the way, on um, the issues related to any uh, medication that has um, a potential to be abused. And I, and I think uh, I, I feel very sorry for both the frontline workers and the, the patient. Somebody comes into my office five or seven years ago before this really became an issue and they are doc i'm in pain uh please help me it's really difficult as a physician to say sorry too bad you have to suck it up uh, because that's not really of the relationship that we have we uh, we have a fiduciary relationship one built on trust uh, and so when people come to me they tell me things that they don't tell anybody else so if they tell me they're in pain, I believe them. And I always say, I believe them. The problem is pain is so subjective. Mm -hmm. I don't know if your 10 out of 10 pain is a mosquito bite to me or your mosquito bite makes me, uh, you know, wither in, in pain and I'm, you know, prostate on the floor. So that's one issue is that we want to help our patients. And the other issue the, where people are doctor shopping and looking for drugs, well, that's a very difficult thing uh, until provincial-wide electronical medical records and pharmacies all linked up um, has started to happen in the last few years. It was very difficult, and there's a time lag, to track people going doctor to doctor for the very small minority, and I think I want to highlight that. Patient, the, the, it's a very small minority of people who are, who are trying to abuse this and, you Correct. know, that's you know, so I think that that's important. You know, I'm not here to say people on narcotics don't deserve to be on narcotics because I think they do. It's the small percentage uh, that has seeped out. And then once it became a problem, well, then people who can uh, manufacture it illegally, i.e. the fentanyl and the carbifentanyl that's coming out, well, then there's a market. And then that need has exploded and people are taking advantage of it. And um, obviously, the only thing that we can highlight is how about all of these people that are on narcotics? Uh, but it's really not. It's the people that are taking financial advantage of it that have created an issue. We've got to leave it at that point. I want to thank you for your input on that. No problem. It was my pleasure. We've been joined by Dr. George Alvarez, Cal uh, Calgary Intensive Care Unit Physician. Um, <clears throat> You know, this is uh, this is an interesting. It was an interesting perspective. I thought clearly, 
it'd be nice if this was a black and white issue. There'll right? never be one. But yeah. I mean, it, every time you talk about these kinds of issues, you just realize the complexity of the problem. And then the question is, is it the majority of the minority, right? There's a whole, for the greater good, you know, what, what there's varying degrees, right? And it's um, unfortunately something I think we're going to hear more and more about. Uh, not just amongst the you know the young population that are using it for you know clearly incorrect purposes, but but as as this demographic ages, there there are people <clears throat> in the boomer demographic that have that have this problem. Yeah, no, for sure. We for can't sure, just say it's a it's a youth problem. No, no, but that's a, where it starts to get. That's where the media right. te- puts the attention. <clears throat> yeah. But we have seen celebrities die sure. because of this, and it's they're in they're in the fifty plus age. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. It's a problem regardless of age. Right? Could become a bigger problem if. An aging demographic gets more access to these these particular products, right? And they're used inappropriately or stolen or whatever the case. I may be. really like the fact when when uh, <clears throat> Dr. Alvarez said about pain that pain is part of living. It's not something you have to ignore. It's something that you have to understand and and, and use it to 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 heal. And that's where I think he's I think he nailed it when he said we're just we're just focused on just getting rid of the pain versus dealing with it. Right. And the varying degrees of it. Fair enough. Okay. We've got a seminar coming up here on May 16th. Yeah. It's Tuesday, May 16th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits talking about your health bucket. How are you going to deal with the costs as as it goes up over time? How are you going to profit and protect in these markets? And how are you going to receive income for the rest of your life so you don't have to worry about running out of money? Again, on Tuesday, May 16th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. Give us a call at 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethemoneyradio.com. Nearly two-thirds of Canadians, Faisal, aren't having those difficult conversations on the end-of-life care and the finances with their aging parents. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to dig in on the behind-the-scenes numbers. We're going to talk about how to make those conversations easier, easier with the ones that you love. You're listening to More Than Money on Newstalk 770. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770 and more than money. You know, Faisal, we talk a lot a bit about um, about Canadians and maybe their financial literacy and how well they're thinking about managing, understand uh, their finances, whatnot. And we've got a new poll out it says nearly two thirds of Canadians are in the dark about managing the care and finances of their aging parents. So it's not just about your finances, but it's about your parents. The uh, the role that they're going to play, their estate, what it's going to look like. So their we just made issues. it a little bit more complicated. Oh, it is complex for sure. Yeah, for sure. we've got a terrific guest to help us understand this particular uh, their poll and the findings. Dave Nicholson, Vice President of Imperial Service at CIBC. Dave, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. So let's just talk a little bit about the poll. Uh, maybe give us a high level of uh, of what some of the key findings were in this particular area. For sure. It's it's interesting. We asked Canadians uh, what's concerning them the most as they age, and, and it, the, the top three were managing unexpected health care-related expenses, yep. uh, losing financial independence, losing the ability to make decisions around finances and so forth, or mobility. And the third one was becoming a burden to my loved ones. So while this was very, very important to people as they age, very few of them have had conversations with their kids about it, and even fewer have put in a concrete plan in, in place to uh, to address this. Now, okay, so let's sort of break this down a little bit. Um, what was the, uh, let, let's talk about the in the poll, the number, sort of the biggest issue that uh, that Canadians seem to be in the dark about. You know, the the biggest one is is the impact that a loss of financial independence is going to have. And it, it, it's interesting, 
90% of people think that it's important to, uh, to talk about these things in advance, but the conversations actually haven't happened. Uh, people, people seem to understand the importance of having a will, for example, but they don't think beyond that in terms of things like a power of attorney, uh, you know, thing, things like a, uh, a direction in terms of how they'd like their health care taken care of. Yeah, I think that's interesting in that it's the dynamic of that conversation is interesting, Faisal. Yeah, so, so Dave, one question here. Is it they haven't prepared the documents or they haven't discussed about the documents? It's both, and it, it's, it's kind of a sequence. So the first thing that hasn't happened is the conversation hasn't happened. And the, you, you can look at it from two ways. I think in some cases parents are reluctant to bring up this conversation with their adult children. Conversely, the kids don't want to have the conversation with their parents because they feel like maybe it's a morbid topic. They don't want to tempt fate. Uh, they don't want their parents to think, hey, hey, I'm interfering in your finances or I'm fishing around for an inheritance here. But, but what's interesting, as we talked about before, because this is a big concern for people's parents and you know, those of us in the sandwich generation, we've, you know, we're worried about our aging parents, we're worried about our kids and so forth we can actually take the burden off of our parents by having this conversation with them. It is very uncomfortable for a parent to tell their child what's going to happen in the event of their death, um, especially if they're not included in the plans. Yeah, or um, incapacitation. Or right? in the event of incapacitation, <clears throat> right. exactly. If, if the health directive, we call it a living will or a personal care directive, those those documents outline what's going to happen but having the conversation of what you want is a very difficult one for people to have and so what would you say um is a good starting point to have with your family when you want to bring this up but you're you're still hesitant to do the whole the whole conversation yeah i i think it's it's look for triggers and maybe start small so what i mean by triggers is is look for opportunities to bring up the conversation so um a health scare, we've all had health scares in our lives, so, so sometimes an illness can be a good opportunity. Hey, this health scare that we just had really made us think about what might happen in the future. So, so that could be an opening to the conversation. We've all got friends and family uh, and associates that we've heard about that have had health issues, have become incapacitated, obviously have passed away. So those are great triggers. You know, look what happened to Mr. and Mrs. Smith we should maybe start the conversation here. Yeah, and you know, it's um, the business of that conversation is different, Faisal, I think, than as you and I experience a lot, the, the, dynam the family dynamic that often prevents, inhibits, changes the conversation, you know, that, that you're going to have, right? So it's morbid. I mean, some families don't have that relationship. Parents don't want them kids to know how much they've got. I mean, there's all kinds of family dynamics Correct. at play that, that create a complication. Now, I don't know if the... Dave, if the, uh, the research went into this, but, but did the poll um, explore what the obstacles were to having that conversation or why those conversations weren't taking place? Yeah, it, it, it got into that a little bit in terms of not wanting to, you know, really not wanting to encroach on people's privacy and so forth. And where I think, where I think people can really look to on that, because, because it is a difficult conversation to bring up, I think the services of a professional can really, really come in handy. So if, if people work with a financial advisor, that's a great starting point. And, and you mentioned working with clients. Oftentimes, a financial advisor can facilitate 
that family conversation and, and bring it up as part of, you know, frankly, whether it's the parents or the children, as right. part of their estate plan, it's so important to bring the family together. No, that's a terrific point. You could, well, you're doing your will if you're working with an attorney or a lawyer drafting that, that, you know, you could include that person as a facilitator as well. So there's, there's, you're right, as a professional, perhaps you can uh, take some of that pressure off of the family, that's right. right, for initiating the conversation. It's just part of the planning process. Uh, I think that's terrific. Okay, so knowing what we know out of this, um, this poll, uh, let's maybe just give some steps. If people are struggling with this, Dave, where, where, where does somebody start with this? process uh, and maybe some tricks, tips, some uh, process steps that we can get to to start this conversation going. For sure, yeah. It, it's we, we like to call it uh, creating a family playbook, and it really starts with the conversation. That's the first step in the process. And when I talked earlier about baby steps, the, the second thing is just really having an understanding and, and giving your kids an understanding. Here's where my important documents are. If I have a will, here's where it is. If I have a, a personal directive, here's where it's registered and so forth. So, so just understanding even simple things like, do your kids know where you bank? Do they know if you have a safety deposit box? And then the third thing is, if you don't have those important documents, the, the will, the directive and so forth, get them written down. And then the last steps are really incorporate that into your larger financial plan. And as I mentioned before, the family conversations are, are the great starting points, but, uh, but for everyone, and especially as people's affairs get more complex, get a professional involved, whether it's a financial advisor, whether it's a lawyer, that can be very, very important and very helpful. Good advice, Dave. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. We've been joined by Dave Nicholson. He's a vice president at Imperial Service at CIBC. Um, you know, Faisal, we, I, I find it, this piece very interesting, right, as this baby boom demographic gets older, this kind of uh, planning, right, is going to become more and more important uh, to ensure a proper transition of wealth, of assets, of taxation. This is a much broader conversation than we can obviously do justice on in, in you know, a seven or a ten minute clip. Correct, yeah. And this is where the integration of not only knowing where you are today in your financial situation, but also knowing what you want to have happen in your legacy bucket. We talk yep. about our four buckets. Those are all interconnected, and you're pulling and, and pushing from different spots. And so understanding not only your today's picture, but knowing where you want the money and, and, your, and your wishes to go tomorrow are very important and need to be worked together. So you cannot do this in silo. You need to have your team together. You need to have your tax, your legal, and your financial team working together. Now, either you have to coordinate or you can, you can get one of your members on your team to coordinate this, but it needs to be done. And I think it's a very important piece that if you're just doing this on your own and you're, you're doing it in piecemeal, a lot of balls can drop while you're juggling these three different groups that, that you have to do. You know, and what I, what I find interesting, and it's, again, another reminder that the wealth conversation at this stage of life, right, at, at retirement, living in retirement as you're aging, is a much more complex set of conversations and decisions than just, hey, what growth rate am I getting in my portfolio? There's Correct. a bunch of stuff that you need to consider. Now, we're going to talk about that particular topic um, at our upcoming seminar. Yeah, you know, how does the legacy bucket work? How does the entire four-bucket asset dedication strategy work? How do you bulletproof your retirement? How do you make sure that your goals are being achieved, that you don't run out of money, that you can have income for life? We're going to talk about that on Tuesday, May 16th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So please give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com.
All right, so we've talked about why we need these types of talks with parents, about what they want for their care, what do they want it to look like, and what are their options. And when should you start looking into this? We find out from the owner of Home Instead Senior Care in a couple of minutes on News Talk 770 and More Than Money. Hey, welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on News Talk 770. Uh, we've been, we're joined, actually, in this segment by uh, Fred Franchuk, who's the owner of the Calgary branch of Home Instead Senior Care. Fred, welcome to the show. Hi there. So I, I, I want to I define your business by your story of how you got into the business. Where I'd like to start the conversation is I want you to tell us a little bit about how you got into this business, and I think listeners are going to understand a little bit about what you do as a result of that. Well, thank you. Well, it really started about nine years ago. My wife, Debbie, um, was a home care nurse for Alberta Health Services. Mm -hmm. And one day she came home from work and uh, she was very upset. And, uh, you know, I said, what happened today? And she said, I just said no too many times. I became a nurse to help people. And the system and the requirements continually change, making it uh, more difficult for, uh, for us to provide services. So she said, we have to do something about it. We have to provide an answer to these families that are looking for care. And so that was in 2008. We opened our doors in 2009, and uh, today we uh, service uh, approximately 200 families in, uh, well, throughout Calgary. We have a, a team of about 190 people that help us do that, providing private home care wherever the senior lays their head at night, wherever they call home. So you mentioned the word private home care. Help me understand what options are available in the system today and where does private home care fit in? Well, private home care, uh, what we didn't know is there are lots of private options, even in publicly funded buildings. Yes, I just said that. I know uh, people are listening. They're going, huh? Um, There are private options in publicly funded buildings. And so our option is a private care option. Uh, Home Instead is uh, one of the few uh, niche providers providing care specifically to seniors. So that means all of our training, all of our approach has to do with the needs of a senior. There are, however, lots of general care companies who will look after a senior, but they also might look after somebody that's had knee surgery, you know, after a bad racquetball, you know, experience or something like that. So within the system... Alberta Health Services offers a wide variety of services, but there are gaps, and that's what we do. The gaps might be in, in hospital, in acute care, where a family says, I don't like the fact that my, you know, my, my mom or my dad had to push the call button and didn't really get you know, the care they needed, and they sat in a, you know, an incontinence diaper for three hours. Yeah. Those situations happen, and that's what, one of the reasons why people are looking for, for additional support. One of the biggest myths, if I could, is um, retirement buildings where, uh, you know, our age, you know, the, the, the three of us will go for a tour and we see the pool table, we see the bistro, we see the movie <laughs> night. It reminds us of an all-inclusive. But what we learned, we, we did a study with Royal Bank of Canada in 2013, and we surveyed over 1,000 seniors and they said, we want to remain at home until our last breath. Yeah. The retirement home is our version of where our folks should go. That's not where they want to go. So these are some of the private, public, kind of convoluted stories that happen, and, and families call us looking for answers. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, Fred, the kind of conversations that you should have with aging parents. <clears throat> um, 
and when you should have these conversations with them. So, you know, that, that can sometimes be a difficult family dynamic. So I'm, I'm interested in, with your experience and, and your wife's experience, how, how, should, how can that happen? Well, the, the best case scenario is very similar to financial planning. You want to have the conversation before the need is there. Um, and there's really five or six topics that we've discovered are, you know, really the, the key ones. They have to do with, you know, money, uh, financial choices, health, driving, end-of-life choices, um, relationships and dating. Those are kind of the, the top ones. Believe it, relationships and dating with seniors is a topic that a lot of families are, are, you know, feel embarrassed or awkward talking about. But it happens, you know, after a long marriage, um, one of the spouses passes away, the other spouse is still lonely and wants companionship, and um, the families aren't there. So, you know, those are the main ones, living choices, financial, health, relationships, dating, driving, and end of life. Those are the big ones that we, um, we come across. The best time to have it is before the need arises. You know, dig the well before you're thirsty sort of thing. Um, when we're in our 40s as children and our parents might be in their 70s, that's the time. Uh, we call it the 40-70 rule at Home Instead. And uh, we just begin the conversation of, you know, what are your thoughts on this? What are your wishes? Amazingly enough, approximately 70% of the families that we talk to have waited too long. Mm-hmm. And uh, now there's, uh, you know, there's disagreements. There's maybe some forgetfulness on behalf of the parent, and it becomes really, really a stressful time. So 40, uh, 40 70, when the kids are in their 40s, mom and dad are in their 70s, is the ideal time to start that conversation. So I received a booklet from, from you guys on this, and the 4070 rule checklist is in that booklet. I strongly recommend people who are who are looking at this situation to go through that checklist because it gives you some of the things that you need to do to make sure you've got it done as well, too. So I like the checklist. Well done on that. Let's, let's talk about what's... Well, hang on a second. How does somebody get a hold of that, that checklist if they want it? Is that, uh, can they get that through you, Fred? They absolutely can. We can send out either a, a hard copy version or an electronic version that we would have sent to you, and they can do that by calling our office Monday to Friday at 403-984-9225. Great. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, no, no problem. Yeah. So now, what's what are some of the key things that people choose not to go into this kind of a service? It's really... Um, th- there's a couple of things that happen. Number one is there's the fear of disrupting their senior parents' life. They're, they're, you know, one of the, how our business actually works is usually a daughter or a son, but the vast majority of the time it's a daughter calls. And she's deeply stressed. She's deeply concerned because she's been the, the safety net for her parents. Mm-hmm. She's been the one who's driving them to appointments. She's been the one who's been uh, keeping it all together, if you will. And when she reach, reaches a breaking point, she usually calls us. And, um, her greatest fear is that she's going to interfere with her parents' um, interference, or, or pardon me, inter- independence. Her biggest fear is that she's going to um, interfere with their independence. And what we try to help her with is if you don't actually start to intervene and, and help uh, shed some light on some of the, uh, the needs uh, that your parents have, they're going to be faced with a whole different set of decisions being made for them without their input. And most families are, are kind of getting their head around that and saying, okay, so what, what do you recommend? Um, 
and from there we can begin to develop care plans, we can begin to support that family, whether it be through information or whether it be through the actual services. And what's very, very unique is a lot of families say, don't worry, we've got this planned, we're going to put my parent into this retirement uh, villa, this retirement community, but they don't realize that the care that they would actually get isn't sufficient enough. Again, they're, they're a little bit fooled by the, the, the glossy brochures that a lot of these buildings and, and organizations have. Fred, the, um, we have a bias on our team, and we think that the, you know, when we're working with clients from a financial planning perspective, we believe that the Canadian healthcare system is really going to face a lot of pressure over the course of the next 20 or 25 years with an aging demographic, and it probably means uh, that to some extent we are going to be out of pocket funding some level of care. Um, um, you know, outside of the, uh, the the traditional system. And I'm, I'm not trying to pin you on a specific number, but I am interested if you can give listeners a bit of guidance on, from a budgeting perspective, what levels of care outside of the public system will cost from a budgeting and a, and a planning perspective? Well, I think that's a fair question, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more that our current system is, is not sustainable for the future. Um, and that's exactly what happened nine years ago with my wife. Is, is right. Her experience was that already back then the system was becoming tighter and tighter and tighter with the funding. So our, our average client is able to spend about $2,000 a month to remain safe and independent at home. Right. That's far cheaper than going to a care center. But even in a care Strangely, center, what you're saying, even in even a publicly funded building, okay, uh, People yep. can also utilize your service because they may not be able to get access to the care that they need even within those other programs. That's Correct? exactly right. Or they, they might have a nice environment, and, and as we say, those buildings provide great room and board, but there's really no one there helping them at you know 2 in the morning to, to go to the bathroom. Yep. Uh, there's no one there that can actually drive them specifically to see their financial planner downtown uh, or to take them to their doctor. So we really help create that independence. So kind of on the low end um, would be a $2,000 a month budget. Yep. On the high end, some of our clients are spending uh, $22,000 a month. Wow. Per month. Okay. And uh, those, are, those are folks that are generally living um, either in their own traditional home yep. or they might be living in a care center. Um, what we haven't talked about is dementia. Right. The, uh, the, di- you know, the memory diagnosis. And um, what's most troubling is if Mr. and Mrs. Smith are, are you know, happily married after 50 or 60 years and one of the spouses um, has dementia, there really is no workable solution. The Alberta Health Services solution is send Mrs. Smith to a care center. Well, what does Mr. Smith do? Right. So we actually allow um, that couple to stay together. I know they have to have the resources. Right. Um, yeah. But it is a reality, and uh, we're, we're not a one one-size-fits-all um, solution. And yeah. That's what I want to kind of mention. You, you gave a range of from two to $22,000 a month, and that, that's a sticker shock no matter which way you look at it, either it's affordable or it's way too expensive. There's a whole bunch of services in between that range. So let's, not, let's not assume it's either one or the other or it's some random number. There's a bunch of services that you can go through, and I think this is very important because our bias is you're going to either the, – the government is not going to be able to do everything, so either you have to pay for what you, what you want, and that's where that range comes into play, right. that you're going to pay for what you want, which is – a good thing, I believe, that individuals get a choice yep. uh, on what's provided versus what's mandated by the government. 
Fred, we have to well, we have to cut we have to cut it off there. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but I think we should continue to explore this conversation uh, on another date. But uh, unfortunately, we're out of time right now. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you very much. Fred Franchuk is the owner of the Calgary branch of Home Instead Seniors Care. We've got an upcoming seminar, uh, Faisal, in which we're going to be talking about lifestyle funding, and part of that's health care. Correct. On Tuesday, May 16th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits, you need to reserve your seat, so give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400, or go to our website at morethanmoneyradio.com. And before we sign off, don't forget about our archive at morethanmoneyradio.com. We've got uh, any of the shows uh, today or past uh, are all there for you to review. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on News Talk 770. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.